0: um thank you very much
1: hi everybody sorry i was muted there uh, good afternoon good evening good morning to uh, all of you wherever you're tuning in from welcome to facebook neurology for vets live webinars uh, sponsored by uh, hallmark advanced veterinary imaging uh, thank you to them. I uh, hope everyone is enjoying the summer. Uh, today, uh, we are uh, quite privileged to have with us a superstar of veterinary neuroimaging. Um, Dr. Silke Hecht, uh, who is here, um, received her veterinary degree in 1998 and her doctorate in 2001, uh, both from Ludwig Maximilian's University in Munich, Germany. She completed a residency in diagnostic imaging at Tufts in 2005. Uh, she is a diplomat of both the American College of Veterinary Radiology, ACVR, and European College of Veterinary Diagnostic Imaging. Dr. Heck is uh, currently a professor of radiology at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine, and she's also a consultant for VET CT. Her areas of interest include MRI, neuroimaging, and oncologic imaging. Uh, she has published more than 90 peer reviewed publications and 25 book chapters. And she's also editor of a textbook on veterinary radiology. So, as I say, we're very privileged to have you here, Dr. Hecht. Thank you very much for giving up your time. I know you're very busy, been um, recently teaching the uh, brain camp to uh, all those lucky residents. Uh, So uh, thank you very much for for coming. And today you're going to talk about a study you did uh, on MRI and CT uh, with cadaveric skull fractures.
0: Thank you very much for the introduction. I'm definitely uh, honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you to Simon and Laurent for inviting me and for uh, to Hallmark, as mentioned, for sponsoring this session. And yes, I am excited to speak about this project. Um, it- took a while to get completed, and I do want to acknowledge my co-investigators on this. Dr. Kim Anderson, who is a neurologist here at the University of Tennessee. Aud Castell, also a neurologist. She was at UT. She is at Montreal now, but at completion of the study, she was here. Jay Griffin from Texas A&M. Adrien Espel here at UT, Nate Nelson, who is at NC State, and then our statistician, Dr. Soon, who uh, helped us design the statistical model here. So, uh, no relevant conflict of interest. Uh, and this is the paper I abbreviated the title on the title slide because it is quite long, but what we were looking at was the agreement of MRI with CT when assessing skull fractures in a canine and feline cadaver model. So, uh, background and aims of the study. As many of you probably know, CT is considered the gold standard for evaluation of patients with acute head trauma. And there's several reasons for that. It's fast. Um, Even with older scanners, slower scanners, a CT can be completed in a a few minutes, while even a fast MRI, if you limit your sequences, is going to take longer. Um, It can be performed under sedation rather than anesthesia which in a trauma case might be advantageous. It is excellent for the detection of skull fractures. I just put a CT image here of a clinical case uh, where you clearly appreciate the pre-sphenoid bone fractures, fracture of the hamulus here, and then frontal bone, frontal sinus fractures with a lot of material in the frontal sinuses. The zygomatic arch doesn't look right either. So it's really, really excellent for that. The gold standard for the evaluation for cortical bone. And it's also really good to detect intracranial hemorrhage. This is an example here of an extradural epidural hematoma being hyper attenuating to the reminder of brain parenchyma. There is some midline shift. One sees the uh, deviation of midline towards the left. And then also concurrently evident are these skull fractures, material in the frontal sinus and gas escaping. So for all these reasons, CT is traditionally considered the gold standard. And I'm not going to argue that actually, but MRI may on occasion be chosen instead, Um, depends on the individual case presentation. There are actually situations where MRI may be indicated. So in an instance where you have done CT and the, the neurologic exam findings are just inconsistent with what was seen on CT, or CT is not available um, at certain times, it's broken, or um, it's just not on site. And also clinician preference. Um, Some people feel more comfortable with MRI than CT, and that's perfectly fine. So the aim of the study was to evaluate the agreement of MRI with CT in detection of skull fractures in a cadaver model. And our specific questions were how, how does MRI compare to CT if we use CT as the gold standard? Um, are some areas of the skull more easily assessed than others? And you will see how we broke down the different areas of the head. Is are, there are certain MR sequences that are better than others? Maybe we can streamline our protocol to make it a bit faster and optimize it for trauma imaging. And then if we have different readers on this study, how, how do they compare? So we had 10 canine and 10 feline cadaver heads. We got them from the shelter with Um, really no history available. They were visually pre-screened for any evidence of acute trauma and we wouldn't include them if they had that, um, but otherwise uh, were included. We performed CT and MRI studies both before and after we induced skull trauma. This is our CT scanner that we used. It's a 40-slice, I know, unusual number, but I promise that that's correct. A 40-slice, multi-slice CT scanner um, and the patients or the heads were positioned like any um, patient would, essentially sternal recumbency. And this is our MRI scanner. It's a 1.5 tesla large bore Siemens magnet. Uh, So... We did use CT as the gold standard, and we measured the performance of MRI in comparison to this gold standard, but we started out pre-screening the CT images uh, by the two main investigators, Dr. Anderson and me, and just rated which bones we assessed as fractured based on the CTE, and we plugged that into an Excel table, and then we met and discussed any cases where we um, had disagreeing assessments. We were pretty close, and we looked at 26 um, separate individual bones. So individual bones where there was only one of them because they're on midline. Um, Basisphenoid, presphenoid, ethmoid and cribriform we consider it as one. And then the heart palate, understanding that the heart palate consists of more than one bone, but since we don't see the margins between the different components, we just use that as one structure. And then we looked at paired bones, occipital, parietal, frontal, temporal, And the temporal, we broke down into the cranium part, and then the part that contributes to the TMJ, temporomandibular, incisive bone, nasal bone, maxilla, zygomatic arch, mandible, and we did the same for the mandible as for the temporal bone. We broke it down into essentially the the ramus or the body of the mandible, and then TMJ, so the part that um, communicates in the temporomandibular joint, the condyle. And we really just asked readers to, or for the CT part, we did it. And for MR, we asked the readers to do the same. So the only assessment was fracture present or not present. We didn't try to count fractures in one bone. It was just, is there a fracture? Is there not a fracture in a given bone? So, I have a couple of videos here and I hope these uh, show for you. This was a feline head prior to the induction of skull trauma. I shall warn you this cat had been used in a surgery lab right before and an eye had been enucleated. So, this was not pre existing trauma. This was um, just done. Oh, no, this was, yeah, there it is. Okay. The right globe is missing. So, you see a little bit of material in the nasal cavities. May have been pre-existing, we didn't have a history, or may have been post-mortem, but no evidence of obvious osseous trauma, so we included this case. And then after head trauma was induced, um, the imaging was repeated, you see there's a bit more gas now in the cranial vault, fluid in the... um, Tympanic bulla didn't matter. But here are TMJ fractures. You see skull base fractures pretty extensively, frontal sign, frontal bone, um, frontal bone again of the orbit, nasal bone, um, and ethmoid uh, turbinates as well. So pretty complex and multifocal fractures in this case. For MRI, which was also performed pre and post trauma, we performed seven different sequences. T1-weighted spin echo, um, top left here, T2-weighted spin echo, standard, flare. And um, if you're looking at this closely, you might actually appreciate that the flare didn't seem to work perfectly for many of these cadavers because the CSF stayed bright. That has to do with the flare sequence, any inversion recovery sequence really being very temperature dependent. And obviously these were now much colder specimen than a live patient would be. And the inversion times are not optimized for that. We still included these sequences because we figured for the assessment of bone, um, it shouldn't make too much of a difference. Uh, Proton density weighted imaging, the T2 star, which is a gradient echo sequence. Then we were in a thin section T2 sequence. This allows us to acquire sub-millimeter slices in T2 weighting. And then with the same slice thickness, a, a T1 weighted gradient echo sequence. And in Siemens terminology, that's called a VIBE. And then we evaluated the images. We tried to actually recruit more evaluators, but we were turned down a few times. So we ultimately had four evaluators, all of whom were blinded to trauma status. We randomized all the MR sequences uh, and the patients, and each of them was evaluated individually by the readers. They did not have access to the CTs of course, and they were asked similar to what we did for CT to evaluate the individual bony structures for presence or absence of a fracture. We then asked our statistician to uh, evaluate the data for us. And we were looking at MRI agreement with CT and specifically overall. So essentially, is this a trauma head, post-trauma head, or is this not a trauma head? Um, And then, how does it agree for individual bone fractures? We looked at cats versus dogs. We looked at individual sequences. So how did each individual sequence perform? We looked at the individual bones, um, but we also grouped the bones. So we came up with four groups, uh, one group making up the cranium, one making up the face. And then we specifically also looked at TMJ and skull base fractures because those may become clinically important if you look at actual trauma patients. And we looked at different observers. Was there a difference how the different observers did? Uh, P below 0.05 was considered significant. All right, results. Um, we had 19 studies with fractures and 21 without. Uh, there was one feline skull where we were apparently unable to induce a fracture and that kind of slipped through when the studies were done. We were not always able to be there for the actual scans and the technician running the scanner didn't notice. We left it in the trauma group. I mean, you might ever you know, see a case of head trauma that doesn't actually have fractures. Um, didn't really matter ultimately. We had a median number of fractures of 3.5 for skull, but the range was wide from, from zero to 17. Uh, interestingly, and that is probably representative of the, the type or the way how we induced the fractures, but basisphenoid and pre sphenoid fractures were only seen in cats, while nasal bone, incisive bone, and hard palate fractures were only seen in dogs. This is really, as I said, probably just representative of this being a post mortem study. So we had a lot of data points. This was a huge Excel table because we had 40 MRI studies total, you know, before and after trauma with 10 cats and 10 dogs each. We had seven sequences to look at, four readers, and 26 individual bones. So, massive Excel table to work with. Um, and the overall results were actually surprisingly good. I did not necessarily expect that. So, we had 93.5% agreement between MRI and CT, a bit better in dogs, 94.1%, versus cats. Uh, probably best guess is that that's related to the size of the animals and the sheer size of the heads and the ability to evaluate the individual bones a little bit better. Pre-trauma was actually absolutely excellent, um, almost 100%, 99.4%, post-trauma lower. Uh, So finding the actual fractures. So this might have been actually a little bit biased by having all these normal cases included. but. That's what we did. And so um, that might have shifted the overall agreement a little bit higher than um, when you compare to just the post trauma accuracy or agreement. Um, The different MRI sequences ranged, as you can imagine, Uh, T2 star was the lowest scoring sequence, but it was still quite good. 92.6. The proton density weighted sequence was the best. And there were some significant differences, and I have this illustrated in a table here in a moment, but between the T2 star and PD, the T2 and the PD, and then the T2 star and the Vibe, respectively. Individual readers were also very good, 92.6 to 94.7. There was one reader who did significantly better than the others. Anatomic regions, the TMJs were actually lowest, uh, 92.7%, while facial fractures, 95% were best. And for the uh, evaluation of the facial bones, so nasal bones, uh, incisive bones and so forth, the um, agreement between MRI and CT was highest compared to the other three regions. So this is the table and if I look at these complex statistical tables, I always get very confused. So uh, I presented all the relevant results already. I don't think the actual numbers matter all that much, but anything that's in bold indicates statistical significance. And so the T2 star here was inferior to the PD statistically. It was also inferior to the VIBE. And then the T2 here was inferior to, or the proton density was superior to the T2 weighted sequences. And if you're interested in looking at other comparisons, the numbers are here. But again, take home messages, the PD was the best in the bunch. And this is the same kind of evaluation looking at the different areas, anatomic regions, uh, the cranium, skull base, face, and TMJ, and you see that cranium and skull base were inferior to the face, Um, so face was better, and then the face was also better compared to TMJ fractures. Of course, we ran into a bunch of challenges and limitations. This was a very complex study. And one thing was difficult was the fracture type. So I do believe and looking at specific cases where fractures were missed, very small fractures and non-displaced fractures were most easily missed. And so were mildly displaced fractures. And then fractures not involving the cranium. um, Only in part true because the face was actually better than the cranial vault, but the mandible or TMJ was pretty low. And we had wanting to make a point that maybe neurologists are only looking at the skull or the cranium and they don't really care about TMJ and nose. Um, but that we didn't, we only had one neurologist actually as a reader. We had aimed for recruiting three, but couldn't find them. Uh, so can't blame neurology for this. She did actually very good in this evaluation. Um, And ultimately, not entirely sure what caused this, but uh, facial fractures were better detected than cranial fractures, but cranial fractures better than, for instance, TMJ fractures. This is one example and I'm putting a couple of arrows here at the bottom where there were TMJ or not, sorry, um, fractures of the mandible, not involving the TMJ. So these were just at the very bottom here of the mandibular angles, bilaterally symmetric, some gas uh, included here. The skull was still correctly graded as traumatized, no question, there are multiple skull fractures that were evident. And I'm putting up here the worst performing sequence, the T2 star. Yeah, no wonder you couldn't see anything. It's all a big blob of susceptibility artifact here eventually. But even on the PD, uh, even knowing that they are there, I would struggle to identify them as well. So those were, were missed. Um, and then this is actually the only Case where the entire skull was rated as normal or non-traumatized while there was a fracture present. This again, mandibular fracture was the only fracture present in the skull. So it was rather rare to have only one and uh, it was missed by all readers. If you compare it to again, all the uh, different MR sequences here, You can maybe actually make a point in hindsight that on this PD or even on this uh, thin section T1, it is uh, present, but probably would miss this again. So that was a limitation. Another challenge was exactly identifying uh, where the fractures were when readers were asked to put this into the Excel table. So which exact bone is it? Uh, If you have bones that are bordering each other, saying if something is exactly like seen here, uh, parietal bone versus temporal bone um, on the, on the left side, uh, then some of them are exactly on midline. So that might make categorization difficult, even on CT, honestly, but especially on MRI. And then when you have fractures along suture lines, like in this presumably younger skull, um, if you have suture lines still present and you have a step there, it was just difficult to A, identify and then B also which bone do you attribute this to? The way we address this, um, if it wasn't noticed, yes, it was considered a miss, but if it was uh, attributed to either incisive bone or maxilla here by the reader, both would be given credit as being correct. Another challenge and you can probably imagine gas, gas is not our friend on MRI. So we had even on the pre-trauma heads, because they were cadaver heads and we had to sometimes store them overnight. They were in a fridge, but there was often gas accumulations within the, within the cranial vault and the soft tissues. So even pre-trauma studies often had pretty significant susceptibility artifacts, which of course were more severe on the gradient echo T2 star than they were on the spin echo sequences. And then post-trauma, the post-trauma studies, we always had to fit these in between clinical cases. So they may not happen until all the clinical cases, were done or there was a gap between clinical cases. And you can see in the same cadaver head how much more gas there is now and how much worse those susceptibility artifacts got. I do wanna point out though, how nice on the proton density weighted sequence the bone still looks. Despite all this gas here, there's actually rather little susceptibility artifact coming from it on this sequence. So this allowed still pretty decent bone evaluation, I think. Um, There were some cases that had pre-existing dental disease that was not an exclusion criterion. And then we had one case that had a lesion that we considered chronic and for that reason did not exclude, but it was mistaken by many readers on many sequences as an actual fracture or lesion. So this uh, ossification of the frontal sinus, maybe it got never aerated and then this focal divot in it It's unclear this, again, was a cadaver head. This might have been even a trauma in utero or at very young age and rather a developmental anomaly. Um, But it was certainly not an acute trauma and it was mistaken on MRI as possible trauma or as trauma by many readers and understandably so. Other reader factors that may come into play, memory if there was a particularly noticeable fracture or readers might, when they come to the next sequence on this skull, even though randomized might recognize that they saw this before, couldn't really completely exclude that. And then uh, more than one reader completely commented on being really fatigued by the study, getting really tired and really annoyed and um, yeah, understandably as well. <laughs> We didn't have soft tissue changes because these were cadavers. So I think MRI, if we had evaluated soft tissue abnormalities as well, could have um, been doing even better. And we did not allow reconstructions of the 3D sequences. So remember we had the thin section T2 weighted and also the thin section T1 weighted gradient echoes here. These are 3D volume data sets. So you could in theory, do those into sagittal and dorsal reconstructed planes, we did not give readers that option. Um, It might help uh, improve performance of these sequences even even more. So there are ideas for future studies. I'm not sure how excited I'm to do any of these frankly but maybe somebody else will Uh, so it would be nice to actually look at CT and MR in small animals with naturally occurring head trauma and that would allow us to take into account concurrent soft tissue lesions now realistically if you have a head trauma case it's probably not ethical To do a study and do CT and MRI unless it's truly indicated. MRI will take a long time in these cases. And in a trauma case, you might not want to put this animal under anesthesia. It would have been nice. Our goal had been to have at least six readers for this study three radiologists, three neurologists. But um, we just, a couple of neurologists never got back to us with with evaluations and it was a lot of work. So we couldn't really look at differences between neurologists and radiologists or readers with five years of experience versus 10 years of experience. That would have been interesting as well. Um, There are definitely newer MR sequences that are optimized for bone imaging. We don't have those. And it would be interesting to look at, but we try to make this a little bit applicable for private practices. And in a lot of private practices, you're also not going to have the state of the art, newest high end sequences available that are being developed. So in conclusion, um, I assume that CT will remain the modality of choice in the evaluation of acute head trauma in small animal cases, and I'm not advocating otherwise. But MRI was highly accurate in this study to identify skull fractures in cadaver models. And I think the only thing I feel fairly strongly about as a recommendation based on our study results, if you do MRI of a head trauma case or a possible head trauma case, include a proton density weighted sequence um, that should be available even on low field scanners. Um, And if you, for whatever reason, do not have that, Other sequences that are going to be pretty good are a thin section T1, um, one of those volume uh, GRE sequences. And even a standard T1 will be better than a T2 to evaluate uh, head trauma cases. That's what I have. These are my cats who are luckily not traumatized, at least not that I know of. And um, I would be more than happy to address any questions anybody has.
2: Thank you very much for this presentation. Um, we got a few questions, actually. Cool. Um, the first one is how the injury was done.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. I was actually hoping this question would come. So this is why I did not address this in the materials and methods. It's pretty gruesome. We tried everything. And it is actually more difficult than one would think to break a dog head. Um, so we started out with throwing them down the stairs. We have outstairs yes. some like staircases that didn't really work particularly well. Um, Somebody suggested going up on the roof and using that, Uh, that was denied by our hospital administration and it would have probably been very inappropriate. Um, We tried even once to roll a car over one, but even that it just bounced the head away, it wouldn't break. Uh, So it was ultimately mostly crushing injuries and that went from hammer to cracking them in the, the CT, scan room door is really heavy it's a metal door so we crushed some of them in there Uh, it was gruesome and terrible and it's another reason i don't necessarily want to do this again one thing we tried to and we didn't include those at the end um metallic Uh, like to mimic metallic projectiles we hammered like a screwdriver through the skull but that left really annoying artifacts behind uh, metal artifacts so that was considered not a good model but it's it's a good point it was not super standardized but no head trauma is you get a head trauma case and it's not going to have a standard injury but it was the worst part
2: i can imagine the brainstorming session to yeah uh, the, the, the the method of in fact.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you could clearly tell some people being dog people and other people being cat people, and they were yeah. like, "No, you can't do this to I me." Mean, uh, it, it was not. I can fun.
2: imagine some uh, personality suddenly coming to light oh totally and, uh,
0: the people wanting to go up on the roof yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely and, and you're not not regarding the people the same way in the clinic anymore <laughs>
0: so, it is so true and then we were like i hope no clients i want to walk by the building while yeah. we are throwing dog heads off the roof that would have oh, been i, thought, I yeah. thought you were a quiet person <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly very dark very dark background oh, there good.
2: uh <laughs> next one from kuhn um I was wondering why T2 star was used and not susceptibility-weighted imaging sequence. Could you please elaborate?
0: Yeah, um, it's a really, really good question. Um, we actually don't have susceptibility-weighted imaging here, um, and uh, we potentially could have used it as an alternative, and it would have been potentially better than the T2 star. We don't have it on our scanner. We just recently actually got it as a, a demo version, and we had it for three months. and at least in our hands compared to T2 star, and we didn't look at trauma in our clinical cases now, but it didn't do that much better or it, it made no major difference. So for our administration, we didn't have a strong justification to actually even purchase it. I know there are no at least two papers saying it's advantageous and it's better to look for thrombi and distinguishing hemorrhage from mineralization. And that would be actually really interesting. Does the, I assume it would, having seen how bone looks on SWI, um, it might do better than T2 star. Uh, we didn't have it at the time of the study mm-hmm. and we still don't have it, but that might have been a very interesting thing to look at. It's a good question. But I, I suggest uh, you <laughs> you go ahead and do the study and compare those two sequences. That would be cool. Um,
2: another question from Kuhn, but go a, a bit along what I was going to ask you is that um, obviously, I mean, you, you, you briefly mentioned it, this study doesn't take into account. I mean, when you look at an MRI, sometimes you use the telltale sign around, you know, a fracture and then think, oh, let's have a better look at the, at the skull and realize there is a small fracture, but I mean, the way the brain will react to the fracture, like edema, MRIs, which may not be seen, you know, on, um, uh, on obviously on the caliber and therefore we may underestimate, you know, that the MRI may perform actually better because of this telltale sign, you know, to some degree. And I think that's what Kuhn was also saying.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, I, I absolutely agree. I think we might have short-changed MR in that regard. I was still amazed how well it did overall, but I do agree um, that would then be a follow-up study with actual clinical cases. Again, I think it would be really unethical to do that in live research yeah. dogs or something like that. And then the question is, Is it necessary? Um, But I totally agree. And there is one study out there, it's a digression, but where they looked at performance of different imaging studies where they implanted foreign bodies into the paws of dogs and used ultrasound CT and MR. And MR did terrible, but I actually really hated that study because it was cadaver feet and they put wooden sticks into it. You don't have an abscess, you don't have the edema, you don't have the inflammation. And of course, MR is going to be crappy, but... um, for this, I totally agree. If we were looking for concurrent intracranial, extracranial hemorrhage, edema, swelling. I, mean, I, yeah.
2: I have to put my hand in the arm any time. You know, you have re- look at an MRI and, you know, look at the skull fracture retrospectively because there was something in the parenchyma that makes me Absolutely.
0: think. Mm. Absolutely. yeah, <laughs> There is
2: something there. There is something yeah.
1: there.
2: But yeah. um, I don't think there's any other questions. Simon, do you have a, any question by any chance?
1: Um, no I I thought it was a fantastic presentation and um obviously ex- accepting some of those limitations particularly soft tissue trauma hemorrhage that, that wouldn't occur it's amazing that you've got such such close association between CT and and an MRI um and I mean could you for for the audience could you um could you suggest, give, let's say, given the appropriate finances and that the dog was stable enough for imaging, could you suggest what what the advantage would be to performing both um, uh, if, if both were available?
0: Yeah, if, if both were available, I guess if you do CT, and we actually had a case just recently where we had to do both, um, where we, we did CT and we did see the the skull fractures. But then interestingly, we did see a midline shift from the other hemisphere, so opposite to the skull fractures, but no obvious hematoma there. So there was concern about a space occupying brain lesion, edema, and sometimes you can tell on CT, but not as good as with MR. And that dog was recovered, but two days later went on CT because he was not recovering as they had expected, looking for a lesion in the opposite side of the brain. I think looking for concussive injuries If you are concerned that, yeah, I'm finding on CT a frontal sinus fracture, but he actually has brainstem lesions and I don't see hematoma and you want to assess for shearing injuries or something, Um, especially if the animal doesn't recover as expected or the localization of the lesions on CT doesn't fit with your neural localization or your signs, I think MRI would be then indicated. I still think if CT is available and on site and functional, in most cases, especially with acute trauma, it's going to be the, the modality of choice. If it's more chronic trauma, previous trauma, um, I think MRI probably has the heads up because then the subtle residual soft tissue lesions, you're going to see better on MR.
1: Great. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. I leave the last word for Simon.
1: Yeah. Um, well, once again, thank you. Thank you for uh, giving up your time and such an excellent presentation of, of the work, and and to all your team that you acknowledged. Um, great job on on this. Um, uh, yeah, it was a very uh, enlightening presentation, and and something that hopefully everyone's in, enjoyed. Thanks very much to everyone who has tuned in. Um, if you want to watch it again, or you know people who want to watch it, it will be. Um, It has been recorded, so you'll be able to access it through Facebook. Thanks very much to Hallmark for sponsoring this session. Uh, Our next Journal Club will be in the first week of October. can't believe I'm actually saying October already, Um, but first week of October. If you have a publication uh, just coming out um, or recently published and you would like uh, to uh, present this to to us, get in touch, um, please, hopefully you see the format is... um, one of just a platform to disperse this information to everybody, give your your project, your your work, a voice here. Um, so thanks very much to everybody, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.
2: And uh, no fancy, but we encourage also very young <laughs> specialists or residents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks.
2: <laughs> but... No joke about. You know, we want to give this opportunity, you know, to to very young neurologists or very young uh, radiologists, to yeah, to present their work. You know, that's the whole point. That's the whole point, and uh, so it's open to everyone. That's the a sub digging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the lot a, lo- a the lost in
1: translation there from from laurent what what, he, what what he was what he was saying is is maybe the the newer members of, of the yeah. profession the less um, experienced
0: less experienced.
1: <laughs> age, <you>
2: know, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you very much for the invitation again it was an honor thank you lovely to have you nice to see uh, you yeah. <laughs> thanks very much Bye. Thank you.